Well, happy Tuesday evening to everybody. Hope you're enjoying this nice warm weather. We're going to have an incredible conversation. This is probably one of the most important deep end episodes ever. We're going to talk about police, police reform, racism in America. I'm joined by a special guest. It's going to be awesome. Welcome to your favorite night of the week. This is the deep end. Okay, everyone, uh, the usual drill, youtube.com slash the deep end TV, like and subscribe, hit the thumbs up button on the on the button right below me on the right below this video. If you would hit the like button and subscribe at youtube.com slash the deep end TV. And if you hit the notification bell, you'll be notified by your smartphone or tablet device that we are live. And my name is Tim Hatch, and I want to welcome in everybody from 99.5 FM in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, everybody on a Spotify audience, WEZE audience. Please consider sharing this episode with someone that you know, and if you would, write a review on your podcast app. Help support the channel. Help get the word out. I appreciate you being here, but I want to introduce you to my special guest tonight. His name is Todd McGee, and he is a former Mass State trooper here in the commonwealth and he is a member of waters church and he's here to talk about police reform what is happening in our culture and everything that might be concerning you at this particular time in history so i think this is a perfectly timed conversation and welcome in todd glad to have you thank you pastor tim i'm excited what waters church is doing and willing to have courageous conversations, but let's say that they're courageous, Christ-centered conversations, Yeah, and being willing to just really talk about some heavy stuff that's really impacting not just uh, Waters Church members, but the greater community. Uh, A lot of people struggling out there, a lot of people are confused. Uh, There's a lot of things that we're hearing in the media and a lot of misinformation. Mm, That's good. Right away, I want to get into these conversations that people are hearing about, Uh, hashtag defund police. Hashtag ACAB. Have you heard of that one? Yes. Uh, I don't even want to say what that one is. It's just so repulsive to me. Uh, There's a lot of angst about the police. And, you know, we've seen these videos. We see black people targeted by police. Um, My initial question to you right off the bat, and speak as freely as you want to about this, is, is there a systemic problem in the police system, policing of this country, concerning black people? Let's take it from two angles. Let's start internally. There's been research done by experts, much smarter than I, that have talked about law enforcement, the stressors of a police officer in their career, male or female, comes from within, internal stress. Mm. When you accept the job, and I was a state trooper for 24 years. Thank you for your service. Thank you, and I've lived through, through God's grace, I lived through a lot, Mm. mostly good, mostly very, very fond memories that I I really enjoyed and have opened up and benefited opportunity for me today in my post-career. But when we talk about internal stresses for a police officer, we can point to what happened in Minneapolis where you have three officers who did not intervene Mm -hmm. in the arrest of George Floyd and allowed Derek Chauvin to, we'll call it what it is, murder George Floyd. It's hard to talk about, it's hard to see, Mm. but what people are not seeing that happens what's internal, specifically the stress that happens internally to a police department, actually influences the decision-making that police, police officers make on the street. So are you talking about the policies that are implemented as a result of something like the George Floyd murder? 
uh, going forward? This is going to upend the system internally in ways that are detrimental to policing going forward? There is already legislation that's been passed at the highest level about qualified, challenging the qualified indemnification clause that protects police officers in the performance of their duty. Now, I trained force in my career. I've uh, been an application of the use of force as a police officer. And I've also defended police officers in the court of law. I've been in front of judge and jury. I've been in front of attorneys in depositions justifying a law enforcement officer's force. Now, with that being said, I never took the approach of whatever the police officer says is gospel truth. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. I've taken the position, what are the medical evidence? What is the medical evidence taken? Mm. So if there was a complaint for use of force or inappropriate uh, police misconduct or inappropriate force... I would always look at the medical records. Right. The medical evidence is proof of one person's perspective versus another yeah. person's perspective. It's independent. It's by itself. Yeah. It's not unbiased. Prejudice. Yep. It's unbiased. It is what it is. And that's the direction that I would basically base my analysis on in order to defend police officers' actions. The other side of the original question is what's happening at a policy level? The policies are to be implemented in a fair and biased way, but I can tell you that the majority of police officers' policies and procedures do not say explicitly to intervene in the event that your brother or sister officer are being excessive. That's part of the change that's happening right now. Okay, so the policy as it stands now in terms of policing is if you see your fellow officer doing something that is aggressive or abusive or racist, now the policy is don't intervene, and it is being changed to now you must intervene? It never said don't intervene, but there was that sense of if I'm a junior officer, I acquiesce to that senior officer's wisdom, guidance, and experience. Yeah, okay. I got you. That has to be written in policy. Yeah. It was implied, maybe at best. It has to be a written within the use of force policies and guidelines within every single police department in the United States. What, one of the phrases that I've heard as I've watched oh, so many interviews and, and videos about this is the blue wall of silence. Um, this idea that you stand by your fellow police officers no matter what. Uh, now, here, here's where I come from. I'm a minister of the gospel. Okay, I am not a Catholic. I am a Protestant. So, <laughs> you know, when it comes to reforming age-old institutions... I'm all for it. Like, yes, every institution needs reform. Um, Police, they need reform, just like government needs reform, just like the church needs reform. And we have experienced that. I am a product of the Reformation, right? 1500s, 95 Theses, Luther nails to the wall. The church is being abusive with with his power. Let's reform it. So, you know, the conversation does have to be there about police reform. But, and speak to this, we have to change the tenor of the conversation. The hashtagging is not helping, in my opinion. Uh, defund the police. That hashtag to me says something that no one wants to. No one wants to get behind. And almost it feels like today that people are being coerced to get behind it, or you're being racist because you're not saying defund the police. Right. Speak to that, if you will. We need to have a real deep understanding as to what does defunding the police mean. Um, in, the, in the city of Boston, I believe Mayor Walsh has already taken $9 million from a $400 plus million budget yeah. of the Boston Police Department. Um, I'm in contact with Commissioner Gross. He's open to reform. He's open to making changes. He's also understanding that policing evolves or, or let's say, hasn't evolved quick enough or with the times, in, mm. time, in, in line with the times. Um, I believe that defunding 
is a very, very dangerous conversation from the perspective of, are we pulling the necessary resources like training and education away from a, a police officer's ability to perform, perform the work in protecting and serving the community? That I would question, if we're going to pull back funding, mm. are we compromising training and education? Which is the problem. That is the problem. And let, let's get to that, because here's something that people are seeing on social media. I saw it on social media. And I talked to you about it last week. And by the way, we're having this conversation because last week I, I brought him into the office. I said, talk to me. I want to hear and let me know what's going on because I knew you were a police officer and, and everything like that. Um, the, the, the lie perpetrated, misinformation that I have heard is a cosmetologist in America gets more hours of training than a police officer. True or false? Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> so let me just give you firsthand experience. I'm going to give it to you from the state police level and also from a municipal, uh, municipal police um, uh, level. Mm. First of all, with the state police, we own our recruits for six months. They spend Monday through Friday at an overnight state police academy in New Braintree, not Braintree, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. New Braintree in central Massachusetts. We have them from Monday morning at about 6, 6 a.m. in the morning until about 3, 30, 4 o'clock Friday afternoon, and they're released to go back to their families. Mm -hmm. Now, multiply that times six months. At the end of this six months, there's a graduation for those who successfully graduate. At the end of the six months, they go into a break-in period, which we would call an FTO program. We also bring in our FTOs, our field training officers, to understand what they're being taught. Because what would happen decades ago was... Forget everything you learned about in the academy, sure, kid, yeah. and, and I'm going to show you the ropes. Right, and well, in every industry, there's that element of, they don't teach you this in the academy, so let me show you how it's really Exactly. Yeah. So six months of training has got to be thrown out the baby with the bathwater? Yeah. I don't think so. So we literally bring in our FTOs, our field training officers. We bring them in. We educate them. This is why the recruits are getting this information. It's current. It's relevant for the times, and we want you to be able to build them up with the base we've already started them on. Okay. Municipal police training. There is a state-level agency, the Municipal Police Training Council, the MPTC, that is also a six-month training academy. Now, once graduated, those individual departments will have their own version of a field training officer program. I can't speak to that. Mm -hmm. However, I know that we have them solid for six, six months, but they're uh, a day academy, so they're allowed to go home at night. So at the end of six months, how many hours of training does the average police officer get? I can tell you classroom, classroom training alone is somewhere north of 1,250 to 1,400 hours of, of academic curriculum. Mm -hmm. So the hours that I was getting was 160. Wrong. Now, I will <laughs> say this. Down south, Meaning okay. south of of Washington, Maryland, DC. Washington D.C. Yeah. That that region of the of the country, their hiring practices are vastly different. Mm. But I can speak for the Northeast. The Northeast, the academy training is significant and typically around the six month mark. Um, is uh, I think I asked you this question when we were con when we had our conversation. Um, when you go past the state level. Uh, who oversees for the entire country, kind of, to say, is there some, you know, common denominator across the board for police training, you know, north, south, east, west? So it, it's really pretty much done by state. It, it's based on the state level. So you'll have municipal agencies in a given state, depending on how many cities and towns there are. And then you'll actually have, uh, in central Massachusetts, you have part-time police departments. They're small, they're mom-and-pop 
tight yeah. police departments. Small, small towns. And the state police assumes after a given time of the day, typically 5 p.m., the state police now resume Obviously. all the authority and in, in patrol functions for those communities. Now, as far as the next level of government would be county level. Here in Massachusetts, we have a sheriff's department, but typically they handle and are responsible for the corrections level in the criminal justice system, of course, but they're not really um, one of a patrol level or an investigative level. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have your federal level of, of government where you've got your three-letter law enforcement agencies, your park police, and other agencies such as that. Okay, so now back to the um, original thought and the conversation that is happening right now in our country mm -hmm. is this idea that... Um, uh, police are a problem, mm -hmm. and uh, they're racist. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the underlying argument made is that America itself is a fundamentally racist country, and systemic racism is what has helped build this economy that we have, and it is the problem with our society is systemic racism and all that kind of stuff. So my question to you is 24 years on the force um, and tons of experience beyond that. Uh, what what do you say to people who are saying that repeatedly and loudly? We need to go back to the establishment of our constitution. I, ideally, the the best and strongest document to serve a land and the people within. Yes. Within the same document, however, it says that a black man is three fifths. Fifth. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. So we can say, and I can say, because I've, I've traveled around the world, I've been blessed to travel to 11 different countries, many of them, many times. United States is still, even with the problems that, we, that are here, we're not perfect, but there's no other country I'd rather live in. Right. There's opportunity here. Yeah. Does it come in your lap? Is it given to you in a silver platter? No. Right. However, it doesn't stop you from trying to strive through those different trials and tribulations. So we really need to have an honest conversation that the system that we're in, if it is based on a single perspective without inclusion, one would then argue that it is built off of a racist, racist ideology or mm -hmm. racist ideals. Now, with that said, can we change and make things better? Yes. Have there been improvements? Yes, there have been. I was a product, as I shared earlier, of affirmative action. Mm. I got onto the, 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 the police department because of the policies based on affirmative action. The Mass State Police. And, and originally started my career with registry police, then there was a merger in 1992, and then okay. it absorbed four agencies. That being said, I was still able to have a full career, I have a pension, and it provides for my family. With that being said, what are those systems in place that may in, impede or inhibit that growth. And as I shared with you earlier, I don't want to be included or excluded based on the color of my skin. Right. Please give me a chance to let me stand on merit. Is my education good enough? I have a master's degree in criminal justice. Mm. I have experience. God gave me a brain. God gave me, fortunately, I was able to say I grew up with a mom and a dad that loved me and poured into me. And they felt that education was the direction that I that was best for me. Yeah, and that was because my father did two tours in Vietnam and didn't want to see me go through and experience the atrocities that he did. Yeah, so that was a family decision, and then from there, it's up to me to be able to make that into something. So, is it a hard road? Yes. Is there opportunity on the same hard road? Absolutely. And so. De de depending on a person's eth ethnic background or their culture, you still have to roll up your sleeves and work through whatever adversity that may be for you. Amen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's really what it is. Yeah. It's hard work, 
Uh, Two-parent homes, yes. by and large, have the best odds of success in this country. We talked about this, and this is something that we're not hearing talked about by seculars, and of course they won't talk about this, but the sexual revolution, mm -hmm. the, de the devaluing of the nuclear family, the devaluing of moms and dads, is a key contributor to poverty in this culture, particularly amongst African Americans. We have way too many fatherless homes. Yes. We have way too many grandmothers raising their grandbabies. Yes. It's a fact. It's a reality. And I so, feel bad for those grandmothers because they did their work. They put their time in, and it's time to retire and enjoy and keep the kids ten chocolate at 10 o'clock and go home. And send them home. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but but those are those challenges in... in you know, it happens. It's it's a reality. We can't shy away from that. That's our reality. But at the same time, how do we nurture that community? Yes, if that that's fact right. is there. How do we nurture that? And is that the church's responsibility? Can the church not necessarily take care of yeah. the community, but can we equip the community? Because it's one thing to diagnose, which I'm great at. I love to diagnose. Yes, this is our sin. Uh, human sin is the result of is the is the root of all these problems, whether it be racism or systemic injustice or whatever you want to call it. It whatever you are struggling with, whatever evils you see, the heart of the man, the heart of man is decept, decept, uh, desperately wicked. Jeremiah seventeen nine. Uh, out of the heart of man, Jesus said, comes evil thoughts, murders, fornications, lies, adulteries. All these things come from within a man defile him. So diagnosis is one thing, but you bring up a great point in what you just said is. Now, what do we do with prognosis? What do we do with um, prescriptive That's right. care to these communities that have been ravaged by fatherless homes, motherless homes, single parent homes, and grandmom raising the kids? What, 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 in, in your experience um, as a police officer, what does it make it harder to be a police officer in communities where family breakdown is far more common? Well, let me let me give you from this perspective, uh, police officers all over the country are doing much more than police work. We're social okay. workers. Yeah. We are clinicians yeah. because of the increase of mental illness and yeah. mental health and um, responding to emotionally disturbed persons. So policing has become an extremely complex profession. Yes. We are not equipped to be able to work in all of the different capacities. Mm. So to tie back into police reform, if we could change the system that require that that a person dials 911 for help for whatever, maybe it's 711 if there's an emotionally disturbed person call. Sure. Maybe it's 511 if there's an issue around a, a social crisis. Mm. So now we can bring the right maybe the police still respond, but there's a trained professional in that police officer's response that can take the lead. Or maybe that question, uh, 911, what is your emergency? Then it becomes a response from the person calling, and then the, di the, the, the uh, what do you call that person? The, the person dispatcher. Dispatcher sends them to those particular numbers. Okay, I'm going to transfer you to mental health. I'm going to transfer you to you know civil disorder or whatever you want right. to call it. Um, that would be helpful. Police would love that. Yeah. Police would say, I don't have to bring my police resources to a call that necessarily doesn't require my police resource. Right. Needs help. Yeah. But I'm bringing the resources of a police officer. Yeah. That's handcuffs. And unfortunately, oftentimes when things spiral out of case, there's force used. Mm -hmm. Force is not the right application. But what happens is if I'm not equipped, are my decisions based in the moment 
for the best response for that, for that call for service. Let's get to that because that was a huge portion of our conversation last time. And I want our hearers, I want our listeners to listen, to really bear in here. You were talking about something that blew my mind. The um, adrenaline rush, uh, the emotional response, the incapacity of people in the moment to make rational decisions, a.k.a. Richard Brooks in Atlanta, uh, to resist arrest in that moment. And you had shared some things which I had never even considered uh, in terms of just the... Hu- and, it, and it totally resonates with me biblically uh, minded, my biblical minded training about the human condition and how we respond to confrontation and escalating experiences. Share that with the listeners because I want them to hear what you had shared with us. The way God created us, we have an instinctual survival cue called fight or flight. And I'll just kind of bring you up through those different aspects. And it starts, there's, a, there's an immediate connection between the heart and the brain. At 115 beats per minute, our fine motor skills begin to deteriorate. That's anything with digital manipulation. So if you were to experience a vicious dog in your neighborhood and it was chasing you and you had to enter into your home with a key, you'd probably get bit. You wouldn't have the fine motor skills in time enough to be able to find the keyhole turn the knob and didn't get in safely. Mm. At 135 beats per minute, the heart continues on this pathway. And at 135 beats per minute, the, the complex motor skills begin to deteriorate. So police officers hit ratio, meaning uh, in a fight, in a, in a um, lethal force situation, historically are low. Complex motor skills are our hand and eye coordination. So if a police officer accesses a firearm, they then bring it up to their sight line or their, or their, their eyesight, that diminished motor skill is happening because their heart rate is approaching 135 beats per minute. Mm. Once, we meet, once we reach a level of 175 beats per minute, our body now enters into fight or flight syndrome. Mm. So what happens is as the blood was leaving our extremities, the fine motor skill deterioration, yep. it's going to our large muscle mass areas to fight, or, or run, flunt, yep. or run. That's instinctual in every human being, male, female, it doesn't discriminate. Why I believe, and again, I'm really taking a hard look at this about um, the way use of force is taught, is we need to understand more of the science. And the big question is, why don't people comply? Yes, that is the question. <laughs> why don't people just say, okay, well, I'm in my worst what moment. What do you want me to do? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna comply with what yes. officer's commands. I believe that they're physically unable to in the moment, mm. in the moment. So now there's been a lot of police interaction about impli- impli- implicit bias training, there's de-escalation training, there's all these types of, of newfound courses over the last three, four, five years. However, we're not looking at what the data is telling us. We're not looking at the science involved in stress. Now, I gave the example of someone sees a vicious dog. From a different person's lens, what if that threat now is in a blue uniform mm-hmm. with a badge and a gun? Yeah. My heart rate's going through the roof. Going through the roof. Also, I don't know what happened to that person's last eight hours. Yeah. Did my wife just leave me? Did I just lose my job? Yes. Are my kids sick? Right? Mm-hmm. Those are catalysts. Yeah. And those are push factors. And those push factors will, will contribute to decision-making or poor decision-making in very stressful moments. In the Richard Brooks case. Uh, he's on probation? On probation because of COVID-19, because what, of coronavirus. He, what is, what he, he, was, he was released early. He was part of the lot oh, of inmates. Right. Okay, right? So, so there was, was policy made based on coronavirus spreading within the prison systems, okay. and he was out on probation and parole for that reason. Oh, okay. So in his mind, 
Uh, number one, he's already escalated heart rate because of the blue uniform. Yes. Um, can I can I ask you a question about that? Does this constant conversation around police versus cops? Yep. Okay. Doesn't that reinforce and even heighten the escalating potentiality of those experiences? Well, we can ju- point directly to May 25th in Minneapolis. Yeah. So the world watched what happened in Minneapolis with Derek Chauvin, George Floyd. And when you now go out into your community, subconsciously, consciously, that's there. It is there. There's no doubt about for it. For all of us. Yeah. It's there for all of us. Now, well, particularly though for black Americans. For, for, for our black community, we're looking at it through a different lens because we're thinking about experiences where I was the one that may have been pulled over for no reason, or I was followed in a store by a security guard, or some level of authority singled me out just because of the color of my skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember, and I tell my, I've told this story before, but I remember when I was a 12-year-old, 14-year-old boy, I was doing a mixtape from my, you know, you know, you did mixtapes back in the day where you put oh, all yeah. this on. Well, I was going to the back of a radio shack to check out the uh, blank tape section. I didn't find the one that I wanted, so I decided to walk out the door. It was winter, had a heavy coat on. Started to walk out the store and they stopped me. And then they said, can we, can we inspect your coat? Can we look in your pockets? Can we check? We think you stole something. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't steal anything. I would never steal anything. And it was so dehumanizing to me to have that experience, to just be assumed guilty from a person of authority. Thank God, God is my witness, my mother. I went to see her. I was still a young boy and she was in the store next door. I went over. She saw the white on my face. She said, what happened? She could see the fa- my face and my downcast uh, my downcast countenance. So I told her reluctantly, I didn't want to tell her. And she <laughs> marched me back over the store and just reamed out the owner of the store. And it was like, just to have somebody in my corner, uh, you know, recognizing that I was falsely accused that I was, uh, you know, profiled, if you will, sure. before we yeah. even knew what profile was. Right. Um, it, it, I knew it felt like as a boy, I can't imagine what that feels like as a man. It's, as, a, as a grown adult. Sure, as a grown adult, it's, it's degrading, it's dehumanizing. Um, there's a sense of, if I'm doing nothing wrong and I can still get in trouble, you start to lose hope. Yeah. That brings up the, the conversation or the talk that every black parent has with, their, with mostly their male sons, but it, it applies for, for black female young ladies. But when you're driving, in, 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 if you get pulled over... Things such as not just keep your hands on the wheel, but extra advice such as follow the directions of the police officer. And I would say this to anybody, your time, if you feel that you've been unjustly pulled over, your time to pick a fight with your grievance is not on the street. Yeah, well said. Accept it, move on. Don't swallow it. If it's wrong, it's wrong. But there's a way to speak to the injustice. You have to make the complaint to the police department and allow the process with the police department to evolve. Now, people say, well, it's just going to be unfounded. Well, that's the fear because right. they protect their own blue wall of yeah. silence. So I'm just going to just, you know, it's a fool's errand. Yeah, right. So, so th- that's the feeling. It's a fool's errand. But now let's look at the case of Officer Derek Chauvin. He had 18 complaints. Yes. All right. So now you say, okay, well, he was still out in the street. But until we start to make all of the complaints, how many complaints didn't come into the office that Derek Chauvin actually mm-hmm. violated public trust, mm-hmm. regardless of color? How many how many police misconduct interactions did this police officer have and only 18 are documented that we know of? What, what, what's, this, what's the solution there, though? Because to me, 17 or 18 uh, uh, you know, incidents, that's enough. Like to me, any other job on earth, they say 17 complaints, you're out. 
Why isn't he out? So there's two things that we have to understand. That is it a violation of policy or okay. is it a violation of law? Okay. And so that's, that's still, really the challenge. But still, an organization like this organization, our church, it has policies. If you do X, Y, Z, you're not going to be hired here. Right. You're not going to be on staff. So what is it about the police officers uh, today that, that can have these litany of complaints against them and still keep their jobs? Is it police unions, as John Stossel likes to say? Police unions are going to be the first ones to advocate for the officer. There's going to be a separate independent review by the Internal Affairs Division. And then from there, whatever those findings are will be brought forward to the administration and then a decision will be made. Uh, I don't know all of these 18 infractions. I don't know how many of them had some level of disciplinary action against Derek Chauvin. However, he was a field training officer that I spoke to earlier because two out of the four officers on scene were on the department less than a week. Mm. Why is a man with 18 complaints, documented complaints, your best guy to be a field training officer? That's a problem. It's a huge problem. That is a, that is a problem that needs to be addressed. And think? I believe that the chief of police or whoever else in that police department need to be held accountable for that decision. Mm. The wrong person leading those young officers. Now, he was the responding officer. But nonetheless, he's still put in a position of authority. What do you, what do you think is the solution going forward for those? Because I'm sure there's more Derek Chauvin's out there. Well, let's talk about what's happening right now. There is, again, legislation from Governor Baker's office that the Police Officer and Standards Training Division, a new state agency, and by the way, I've heard this from very, very credible sources from municipal police chiefs. They've been asking for a post-certification for about the last seven or eight years. So they agree. Chiefs of police in Massachusetts believe that police officers should have a standards and training along with their uh, that that accompanies their law enforcement career. And what, what does that training entail? So what will happen with uh, a, an office of police officers standards and training as it's uh, directed out of Governor Baker's office is that every police officer will be licensed in the Commonwealth in order to perform the profession and the vocation of policing. Mm -hmm. What happens is if a police officer makes some poor decisions and there's discipline action, it, and I've seen this happen, will allow you to voluntary retire, mm -hmm. even though you've had three years, five years, you know we're near receiving right. pension, yeah. but, you're, but you're allowed to, to retire. Your history doesn't follow you to another police department. As of right now? As of right now. Okay. The so post the post certification that now if there are infractions it will those infractions will, will be you. documented outside of the agency okay. at a state level and if you try to go to a, another job and oftentimes it happens where a police officer from the state will retire after a successful career and is still young enough to be able to go and, and work with a municipal agency and pursue another pension and if, there's no following up on his track record otherwise no. That's, that sounds a lot like the Catholic Church in the early part of this century, you know, the 2000s. It's when a show game. You just move people around just moving and around. pass goes away. It's amazing. See, this is, this is the necessary conversation we need to have, which is reform in every industry is right. absolutely essential for has to be. The, the industry to better serve community. Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's people living next to people. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, and, and again, for the police officers watching this podcast, mm. trust and know that I stand with my brothers and sisters in the good work that 99% of men and women in law enforcement do on a daily basis. Let me give you a real example. Mm. One of our local police departments had over 15,000 citizen contacts, either through motor vehicle stops, calls for service, domestics, literally less than four complaints out of 2019. 
and 15,000 Fi- over 50 almost actually closer to 16,000 contacts. Wow. Why aren't we four. celebrating that? Less than 4. Because bad news gets the headlines. Exactly. <laughs> right? So, my my encouragement to police administrators is take that data. You're collecting it anyway. Take that data and disseminate it through your community. Applaud your officers the men and women on a daily basis that are doing the right things and no doing kidding. good police work yeah. and truly protecting the community. No, no, absolutely. So well said. Um, just uh, so let me just look at some questions here that I had in my mind. Um, one of the questions that I actually did want to ask you this is uh, political leaders. This is going to be a, this is 2020. It's going to be a huge political, political year, uh, presidential election. The assumption for a lot of people is get the right person in, all problems are solved. And usually we're only talking about the Oval Office. When there's so many other offices below the Oval Office that actually have much more to do with what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Right. And it seems like we forget about all those levels and we just think, okay, get somebody in the Oval Office and all our problems go away. What do you, what do you say to that? Because this is a heightened season. Sure, it's a, it's, it's a, the election season is, again, it's already starting now, right? We're, we're nowhere near November. It's, it's coming, yeah. but oh. um, it, it is heightened. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement started under President Obama. Mm. Black president, black attorney general, Eric Holder, mm. was still having the same conversation, mm. the same issues. Donald Trump ran on America. Let's make America great again. Look where we're at today. Yeah. The conversation or the change or the reform in this country is not going to happen at the highest levels right. of our government. Right. It has to be in the grassroots level. It has to be, and again, a conversation to start in the church. Mm. How can we equip believers in Christ, followers of Christ, to better have these courageous conversations with empathy and humanity as the forefront? And how do we be able to sit down respect and understand each other's differences, but find where we're common, where we have more things in common than not. Yeah, well That's said. where we need to be at a grassroots level. To think that we're going to have some great savior, right? We, we look back to, to the early um, Israelites. Sure. They demanded a king. They demanded a king. God said, okay, I'm going to give you Saul. And they got a litany of kings that were horrible after Afterwards. David. <laughs> okay, so yeah, the Bible yeah. teaches us some things yes, that we does. should really apply Absolutely. to today. Yep. Um, so, so I say all that with, we cannot wait for a leader at the top. Black, white, whatever background or ethnicity, yeah. it has to be a grassroots effort. Uh, so practical um, advice to people watching at our church uh, or maybe not at our church. Practical advice for the person, you've already hinted at this, you get pulled over, don't pick a fight. Just do what they ask. Follow, follow the, the, the officer's commands. And, and even with that, um, a lot of people are driving, they're focused on where they're going, what they're doing. Um, there are such things as precursory stops. You have to understand that you can be pulled over your headlight out, your taillight out. If you've switched lanes without, a, a, without using your blinker, those are technically infractions. And in, now the cell phone. In cell phone driving, that's a new law that was just recently passed in Massachusetts. Mm. We were not in the forefront of having that, that legislation, but it's in place now. The law now is not in the hand. Not in the hand. Right. Right. So now if you're saying, well, I was just trying to get my GPS, technically that could be construed it's as a in, violation. It's in the hand, yeah. That's not the time to argue with the police officer. If you feel that you've been um, a victim of injustice, bring that situation back to the police department and speak to a supervisor. And it seems like if that does happen now, you're going to have a captive audience far more willingly to hear you than 
three, uh, four weeks ago. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, understand that if there's an issue in the in the neighborhood and the police respond and the police did not respond in a way or the resolution wasn't what you want, we're bound by the law. So that shouldn't automatically come up. That shouldn't be a complaint against a police officer because it didn't work out to my favor. Right. That's yes. Because I've got some type of a grievance with my with you know yeah. the neighbor across the street. I always say that about. Don't Christians. pull me in your story. Yes. That can't happen. I always say that with even Christians when they want to um, bring up a complaint about another Christian. And Matthew eighteen is you don't go to talk to other people about it. You go straight to the person. Tell them, look, this offended me, and you sinned against me. But. It has to be a sin. Like it can't, you know, it can't be like their their personality offends right. you or you don't like the way they look at you. You got to say this you sinned against me. And that's an, an important qualifier that you just gave to our hearers to say, look, it's got to be something that they did unlawfully. Now take me into take us into the 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 motor vehicle of a, a young black man. Hmm. Let's let's run through the 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 scenario, the narrative right now. Young black man, taillight out, pulled over. Automatically, I know, he's already thinking, I've been pulled over because I'm a black man. Yes, the taillight might be out, but I know more so a white man might get away with this. Yes. For whatever reason, that's, you know, that's the narrative now, okay? What do you say to that young black man? The talk that parents are having with their, with their young sons, and, and I want to be specific because the numbers are just what the numbers are showing, um, it's again, the things I mentioned before, having the hands at the 10 o'clock, two o'clock position. If you're pulled over at night, turn on the interior light license and registration is automatically going to be requested because that's how police officers are trained in the Northeast. You'll notice if you ever watch videos or if you're traveling on vacation down South, again, the States of Georgia, Florida, they typically pull the, the operator out of the vehicle to have the same conversation. Oh, they do. In that's the standard procedure? That's standard procedure. In the south? In the south. The northeast, our patrol procedures is that we'd rather keep the person in the vehicle. Okay. All right. Now, the police officer, if they're traveling on the busy road, I worked highways at state police, I would approach from the passenger side. Yes. That's now, I'm not giving up any tactics here. It's just understanding that if you're going to get pulled over, here's the conversation that, that's going to be had. Be prepared to give your license and registration. Mm. If you have it ready before the police officer gets to your window, great. If not, wait patiently. They'll tell you and instruct you as to what they're, what they're looking for. Have you had too much to drink? They're going to make that judgment based on your operation. Were you swerving? Was there any other behavior that may have, may have looked um, and appeared consistent with drinking and driving? They're going to give you a breathalyzer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those types of things are going to be in line with the conversation based on, on the, the context of the stop. So don't assume aggression where there's just procedure. Yes, yes. Great point. And, and, it's, and it's one of those things, like I said, if you feel that you have been unjustly stopped, the time to air that grievance is not during the stop. So what do I do if I have that feeling? When, when is the right time to go? And if how? you're given a motor vehicle citation, either through a civil citation, so there's some fine that you have to mail in or the ability to appeal, that's your right for a person to appeal the ticket, or a criminal summons, meaning the person may have been driving without a license, uh, meaning it was suspended for, for whatever reason. Um, also, here's another thing that people don't understand. Things like not paying your excise tax. Mm. Eventually, that catches up, yeah. and there may be a suspension of your license. Mm. Right. So our laws are such that people really need to understand 
all that it entails in the event that they're given certain charges. Mm. Uh, you want to take some viewer questions because we sure. had these emailed to us. So we can put these up on the screen, Michael. I think first question comes into us, and this one was asked uh, by uh, text, I think, 508-316-9333. If detained, do you ever win by fighting with the police? I think you alluded to this already, but if detained, do you ever win by fighting with the police? This is a hard, it's a great question, but there's a hard question. Commonwealth via versus Moreau. There is legislation in Massachusetts that has, um, that discusses, the, now this is dangerous territory that we're crossing into, that a individual has the ability to resist unlawful arrest. Mm. Hmm. Can of worms here. Mm. This is a huge I'm conundrum. Sure yeah. Here's the problem. If I feel that I'm getting a raw deal, of course it's unjustified, right? So it's in the law. This is something that anyone can look up. It's um, Commonwealth versus Moriah, M-O-R-E-I-R-A. Mm. Just look this up because I'm doing some work with local police departments. So I'm troubled with that decision. I'm troubled with the police You're officer. You're troubled with the fact that they can now fight back. In, in, and again, this is, this is people are going to frown upon this conversation at this point because they're saying, well, if I feel that the force is unjustified, then, I, then that's good. The courts have recognized that. The problem is the police officer is going to think that you're trying to get away. Okay. Right? Yeah, of so course. That's, that's a very, <laughs> very, very delicate decision. I wish that the legislation in, in how the courts looked at that gave more guidance in that. Right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a very, very kind of uh, ambiguous of statement. Yeah, it creates a can of worms. Absolutely. I mean, it's, just a, it's an amazing thing to even Absolutely, that. absolutely. And, and it's been challenged. It's, yeah. it's in our courts, in Massachusetts courts. Mm. So another It's aspect, being challenged to take that law out now. So no, no, um, that, that the defendant said that he felt that he was being unlawfully, that hit the force used to arrest him was excessive, excessive. And the reason why he fought back was because of the excessiveness of the application of force. So the law right now is in the direction of the defendant? Yes. Okay. All right. Now, that being said, can you win if you're ever detained? It depends, right? So we've had issues where we've had um, illegal um, aliens that have been um, round up. There was a case back in 2008 or nine where there was a manufacturer of um, he, had a, he was a government contractor. I think he had uh, uh, um, he was making backpacks. Mm -hmm. And but he was hiring illegal aliens, so they did a, a they did a sweep, mm. right? The federal government came in and did a sweep and arrested two hundred plus illegal aliens. Mm -hmm. So in that particular case, when the federal government comes in, they've done their homework, they know who they're looking for, and if there's in a, a situation where a person cannot document their immigration status or their visa, they're allowed here within the country for a visa stay or whatever their status is, they're most likely going to be locked up. Mm. All right. So again, that's why we have. Uh, attorneys that work pro bono for different cases right. like that and your family members, you're going to have to get them involved and they have to be able to advocate for you. And again, family. <laughs> Absolutely. Right back to it. So many, so many fathers, so many sons don't have fathers to right. say what you're just, what you're saying right now. No guidance. And that's my, that's my heartbreaking issue right there is the lack of fathers. You know, it's not a coincidence that the Old Testament ends on a curse, a pronouncement of a curse, which it says that if the f hearts of the fathers are not Turn back toward the sons, the hearts of the sons, the land will be strick, stricken with a curse. And that's where we are in this country. That's where we're at. And, 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 we, and then, you know, this is just my diatribe on this. You know, when Jesus says in Matthew 24 that 
because of the increase in lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold. How do you get lawlessness? But you get lawlessness by by questioning the law enforcement. Yes. And and that's what we're seeing right now. But the deeper root of fatherlessness, the deeper root of parentlessness and guidance for young people, what you are saying should be something that fathers should be telling their sons. Without a doubt. Parents should be having these conversations. That's why we provide this to you here on the deep end. You know, you say that police officers today have to do more than just police policing. And it's funny because I feel the same way about being a pastor. Mm. People look at me for things that I, they never looked at to me for before. Teach me the word of God. Teach me the Bible. Teach you the Bible. Is like That's like a fraction of what people look to pastors for now. Mm-hmm. Is fatherly presence. Um, speak to socialists. Speak to, tell me you know, how to think about uh, any range of issues, even this issue. And that's why I bring you on, because I am not an expert in, <laughs> in policing or the enforcement of the law. In fact, I... I hate to say it, I break the law regularly. I'm sorry to say, with speeding. I'm sorry. That's my that's my Achilles heel <laughs> in life. But it's the necessity of just having parents, having family back in the homes. I, I think about the conversations I have with my son, and I said to my wife, "It's about planting seeds. Mm-hmm. I hope those seeds take root on good soil, as the word teaches us." Do you want to share that story too about your son? Do you mind? You shared that with me. Picture place when he was uh, yes. Walking Please through. share that story because I think it speaks to this. Uh, so. My, my son was with his friends up at the Patriot Place, and in, uh, they've got this unwritten rule, this written rule that anyone under 21, because there's a bunch of bars and the liquor establishments in the restaurants, they want kids under age of 21 off of that pavilion area at Patriot Place. Unwritten rule. Unwritten rule. You, mm-hmm. can, you can go and hang out over in the movie theater, but yeah. at a certain time, we, won't, we don't want to see you. So it was getting about that time. My friend was with his, with his uh, classmates, and he said, Dad, I felt like they were looking at me extra. And so... Well, he was the only black man. He was the only black kid amongst the, amongst the group, and he was probably 15 at the time. Mm. And... He turned around and he, and he walked back over to the police officers and he said, um, do you know my dad, Todd McGee? And as it turned out, these Foxborough police officers knew me. Mm. And he showed him uh, his school ID. Uh, my son uh, just graduated from Bishop Fan. He, he showed this, his school ID, shook their hands, and he walked away feeling better mm-hmm. about that encounter. And I'm sure the police officers also felt better about that encounter. Mm-hmm. And... But it was because of the seeds I planted in my son for him to have a little courageousness and not take on that fear and then let that fear become a bias yes. and lead him into a different place. Incredible. And you said that you said to me in the office, which really which really got me, is how many how many boys out there don't have a Todd McGee to call, don't have a dad to they call. They don't have a dad. Um, and hats off to your son to actually just do that, because that's brave. Yeah. That's just, you know, even I don't even think I would be comfortable doing that. Um, and it's, it's saying something to your fatherhood of him uh, and your influence there. And, you know, what would you say to that fatherless son right now? What would you say to that guy out there right now that's thinking, gosh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm that person. And because I'm that person, I'm almost ing- angry that I don't have that. And what would you say to him? Find the mentor. Mm. Find that mentor. Develop your relationship with our Heavenly Father, first and foremost. Amen. Secondly, in the earthly realm, find a mentor. Find someone that can give you guidance. Find someone that you can ask the hard questions that maybe you're struggling with, Mm -hmm. but the answers are out there. To lean on self, and I always say to my family, never do anything in emotion. 
if we follow our emotion, either when I follow my my joyful emotion, I probably paid overpaid for overpaid. something I don't yeah. <laughs> I didn't need. But never fall victim to your emotion yeah. because something around the corner there is just not healthy. So good. Um, and again, we're, we're coming back around to community, family, and where the church exists. And this is again my apologetic for the church's existence is the church is community. Mm-hmm. The church is family. You know, um, former. Mass State Trooper, black man, white pastor, at the same table, having a conversation about what's going on in our culture to help us understand. We have more in common than not. Yes. And that's where we have to find a place. Courageous conversations everywhere. Yeah. And we have to get to the point where asking a person, a coworker, a neighbor, do you feel comfortable with me calling you black or African American? Yeah. Do you feel comfortable with me calling you gay or homosexual? Yeah. Whatever the demographic is or whatever the dynamic is at play, that's about the rapport building. That's about having those courageous conversations. Love your neighbor. In order to say, yes, that's what Christ commands us to do. Love your neighbor. I saw it on social media today, actually, one of the few positive social media posts that I've seen today, which was, you know, when Jesus said, love your neighbors, you love yourself, he knew that your neighbor was going to be different than you, think different than you, act different than you, look different than you. He knew that. So start doing it regardless of what you think. Put it to practice. Um, Let me get to another viewer question. Uh, This one says, why don't the police just wait for backup, whether it's mental health, same gender, race, or language speaking officers, so de-escalate, then diffuse and remove media's ammo? I think what he's saying is, Mm -hmm. yeah, you remove the the narrative from the media. Um, So what's the answer there? Sure. Uh, let's let's go back that that in our communities, by and large, the police are doing a great job. Uh, the men and women that put on the suit every day, their goal is, and I used to say, your goal at the end of your shift is to go home to your family. Mm. So we, as police officers, we deal and face with some the, the worst part of life in some cases. Yes, I know. People need to understand that. And we come across people in their worst moments. Yes. But I used to say to my recruits that people need your help before they need your handcuffs. Mm. And to really understand that when you find people in a worse moment doesn't necessarily mean that they're up to criminal activity. Oh, yes, true. And it doesn't mean that that's who they are. That's right. That's right. Right. So so I want to preface responding to that question uh, in the mindset that, again, the majority of police are doing a great job. Now, you have to understand what community do you live in. There are certain communities that are just smaller. In central Massachusetts, there are police departments that are part-time. They literally shut down at 5 o'clock. I came from a community like that. Right? So now a different agency comes in. So that that state police agency may not be familiar with that particular community. Central Mass, Western Mass, on the midnight shift, the police officer's backup is 20 minutes away or longer. Mm. Okay, yeah. I worked in a, um, I used to work out of the Medford Barracks. There was, a, there was a desk officer and three patrols for our entire region. That included 93 North and South into the city of Boston. Mm. So just the resources that are sometimes available are limited. Um, the, the aspect of, of additional languages, being able to, to, to speak to the different languages in the communities. The communities are more diverse than the police departments. We just, we don't have those resources sometimes. So is there an opportunity if there's a resource that's available, maybe from a neighboring police department? Can you, can you answer a question for me? Sure. Because I've had this conversation with someone else, actually with John, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Why aren't in the inner city communities more black men becoming police officers or black women becoming police officers in those communities? Is it because of the antagonism, the, the, the underlying antagonism? Um, I'm going to give you this perspective. Um, when I was uh, back in the state police, back in the 90s, I was working with the program and we were saying, okay, we want to pursue 
qualified black males, qualified black women to be able to come into the, into the vocation of police department. And what we realized is that we had to go to middle school to find those candidates. Really? We had to cultivate interested individuals. So would we have the youth programs, yeah. the ROTC programs, and all those different things to get young men and women of color to think about law enforcement and, as a career. And why is that? Why did you have to go that young? So the reason why we had to go that young is that at a certain age, that high school years, at 15, 16, 17, those interactions with law enforcement were negative. Mm. And so now those kids that had an opportunity to go on to higher education, they're thinking about being attorneys. Yeah. They're thinking about going into the medical profession. They're thinking about going into technology, right? So, so those are jobs paying six-figure salaries. Yeah. You can do well for yourself with, with a six-figure salary. That was the career path that we were seeing young men, and young black men and young black women going. They weren't thinking about law enforcement because they had a negative experience. Right. And, and the money? The money, uh, police officers are working overtime. You can provide and support your family and do very well. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's not a matter of they weren't going to make enough money. No, but, they, but they're not thinking about it as a career path, so not, they're not thinking, if I enter into the police department with a bachelor's or a master's degree, it, it, am, I finan- am I financially in a better place, mm-hmm. right? Or, or if, I, if I get a bachelor's degree in any, in any discipline, I can go into the federal government because you don't have to have a criminal justice degree, just a four-year degree to get into federal law enforcement. Mm. So what's the answer then to that problem now? Because, I mean, how is that, how's that, how's that designed system now to go after the middle school kids working? I don't know if many communities are thinking they have to go back that far. Because, again, you have to have infrastructure in place. Okay. If you're saying, I'm going to go back to a, a, minis, a, min, a middle school demographic, then I've got to have programs in place to be able to cultivate this talent all the way through until the, until the age of 18. Yeah. Right, because that's their first opportunity. And then you have to make a lot of assumptions along the way because you don't know. I mean, a lot happens between 12 and 18. Ton of stuff. (laughs) Um, These are incredible uh, points that you're making. I'm so glad that you're on. Um, Let me ask you some more personal questions. uh, And I think I want to delve deep here with you is that how are you doing as a black man in America with a police... uh, um, uh, uh, resume in police work. Um, how are you doing personally, just spiritually, emotionally to all of this? It has been emotional. And I appreciate you asking that. It has been emotional. Um, I've reached out to my former colleagues, both black and white. Um, we are looking at these different incidents through different lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find myself with um, thinking about finding my voice was my first struggle. Um, since then, I had a, uh, the opportunity to attend my first protest, and not as a police officer, but as a speaker, mm-hmm. and also um, through writing, finding my voice in, in writing, in writing articles, um, and also opportunities like this with Waters Church opening up and being here with you on the deep end. Um, so it helps find a place for those emotions. It helps you begin to articulate those different narratives and put action behind those those words i I think which is key um i can tell you i'm reaching out to uh, my former colleagues again both black and white 
and we're having different conversations, to be quite frank with you. Can you open up a little bit on that? Sure. I had Without a, naming names, obviously. Sure. <laughs> I had a, a good friend of mine who's uh, still on the job, 31 years within, within policing, and um, he's within the state police, and, and he said I, I, he's also responding to the riots that we've, uh, some of the civil unrest that we've had in Massachusetts. And so he's, he's hearing chatter and dialogue that goes against his character. And he finds himself having to be the, the father figure over the younger troopers. Is this an African-American? African-American male. And he, um, he doesn't, he, he's finding himself being that father figure to younger troopers who haven't found their voice yet. Mm. And he's, he's stepping out in courageous areas, but he's also finding himself correcting his brother officers in this case, in this conversation, where their perspectives are, are maybe not in line with where his are. Um, uh, meaning ethically and morally. Really? And yes. Uh, the older generation? The older generation, yes. So yes. he's identifying there is a problem. He's identifying a problem. He's speaking to the problem, mm. but it's a challenge. And we talked about that earlier too, which is the uh, socialization engine, which is when you see something wrong, you are, in par- you are part of the community in which something is being done that is wrong. You have to speak to it. dehumanizing someone. You have to open your mouth. And that's what, you know, what's happening right now is the rioters are going around tearing everything down and, and spraying spray paint all over the place and no one's saying anything now. So the very thing that got us into this, into this escalated uh, current cultural moment, not saying something, police officers not, you know, saying, hey, Derek, move your leg. What the heck are you doing? Yep. Right. We're seeing it on the other end with rioters and looters and, just, and the people that are ruining communities. Nobody's saying anything there. Have to. Everyone has an obligation you to say, say stop. We have a First Amendment privilege. Yes. Our Constitution gives us the right to speak and protest and air our grievances. However, to destroy our communities, unacceptable. Unacceptable. Cannot happen. And most of the time it's black communities or predominantly black communities. That well, are you know, and we have to t- also have to bring in, there's, there's two different groups that are out there, and this might be for another conversation, but we have to understand when, pe- when peaceful people assemble there's always going to be an element yeah that that tries to infiltrate that sure. peacefulness there's two groups left wing is antifa right wing is a group called boogaloo boys mm-hmm. they refer they've adopted the name boogaloo because they believe that a race riot which they refer to as the boogaloo is what's going to be our community or social reform mm-hmm. all right it's ideology yeah it's ideology on the left they're anti-government they're anti-fascism which is antifa stands for anti-fascist but, also, but they're also anti-capitalism, anti-American it, economics. It doesn't stop, right? <laughs> I mean, and it's they keep like going. huge. They keep going. Yeah. But also, on the same hand, your your groups like the Boogaloo Boys are anti-government. Yeah. So, God ordained man to establish order. Civil government. Romans right? thirteen, First so, Peter three. You know, there's all over the place. That's order for our society. Yeah. Right. God granted that to mankind, just like He gave Adam jobs. He He gave yeah. the rest of mankind jobs to establish order in our communities. Yeah. So, um, when it comes to uh, these conversations, and you, your, your uh, former uh, associates are having these hard conversations with their, the guys of the older generation who do, in some ways, break the rules. Uh, cause some of this this uh, this problem to ha- to happen. Um, what what what's he saying to the younger guys right now? Come to me as a voice. If you're having a hard time amongst the group, come to me. I'll speak to it. 
you're, you're, as a police officer, your mind, your mind shifts at about 20 years and you kind of have a certain kind of bravado about, about yeah. the way you, you, you carry yourself. And so you find your words and you speak to things that, that are maybe a click or two off. Um, now again, um, I stand with my brother and sister troopers that are doing very, very difficult jobs, especially in these days. Um, but again, we have to police ourselves. I've been in those situations where maybe a conversation wasn't the way it should have been professionally. I've been where conduct was was inappropriate and I had to intervene to stop that force. Yeah, I've been there and I had it and in a million years and, and, and if I had to go back a million different ways, I would do the same thing again mm. to keep, and, and think of it selfishly, to keep myself out of trouble. Yeah, You have to intervene. And that's what we really need people, uh, police officers to have that courage. If you've got an, a day on the job or a month on the job, you have to have the courage to intervene if you see something that is beyond necessary. Yes, that's good. That's good. And, and it's, this, it's, you know, it's a Christian's responsibility, mostly. Let's humanize we, it. We have the law of God yes. written upon our hearts, the scripture says. It's not that we just uh, adhere to a creedal system. We're commanded. Yeah, and then the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit regenerating the heart, you know, theologically speaking, to say, now you know what's right, and to not speak up. What, did, what is the great heritage of the Christian movement in the book of Acts as we go through the book of Acts in season three of uh, the deep end? Is, is it not Paul, Peter, and Philip, and Stephen's ability to speak truth to power, to speak truth when it might get you in trouble? And I think that when, when it comes to young people, and I think I've got a lot of young people in our church that they want to do that. They want to speak truth to power, but they're not shaping it in a way that the older generation will hear. All they are going to hear, the older generation, because I'm in the middle. I said this a couple of weeks ago on, this, on Sunday. I said, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm right between the boomers and the millennials, and they're like eh, over, over my shoulders. So young, my advice to young people, and you can speak to this too, is how you say things that might be necessary is as important as what you say. you got to have courage. You've got to be able to, one, articulate what those grievances are, Point to the different factual things. It's again, factual what things. Will, what will ruin your 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 case is to speculate on things or or to create an emotional a bigger emotional too. response. Yep, like you talked about. So it there. has to be factual. So yeah. when you move forward in fact, and again document those different issues. Yes. Because once you document, there's now record. Yes. And if the powers that be fail to move on what has been documented, legitimate grievances that have been failed to been acted upon, there's accountability. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then what do you say to parents? And I know I've got this in our church. Um, their, their kids are just screaming at them. They're just screaming at them. They're just like, you know, they're, the word that keeps coming to mind is apoplectic. They can't even be reasoned with right now because everything is about this. And until this is 100% solved, the world cannot move forward. <laughs> so what do you say to parents who are getting that, that, that kid in their face saying, you know, you're the problem, your generation's the problem, this country's the problem. What do you say to that parent? One of the hardest things I had to do as a parent, and, and, and for my wife and I, we had to listen we got to sit down and listen to our kids. We pour everything into our kids to be upright citizens, uh, productive citizens. But yet when they have something to hear, we don't want to listen to them. Mm. Right? So let's give them a chance. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we stop our rearing and our education and pouring seeds into them. Mm. However, we have to take time to listen and find out, you know, they may be speaking 
truth to problems that they're experiencing firsthand. Yeah. My son went through it. My daughter went through it within their school. I'm working with their school. My kids are my kids are graduated out of high school. My oldest is getting married. My youngest is going to college. The benefits that will happen at their former high school institution, they'll never benefit from. Right. But what about their friends? What about the kids coming in after them? Yeah. Are, are they just going to kind of walk into the same institutional uh, racism that my, my kids experienced? Conversate, uh, uh, jokes to my son like, I bet you don't even know your dad. Jokes like, what's for lunch today? Ch- fried chicken? Mm. Things like, does your hair get wet when you take a shower? Mm. Yeah, That's un- not a Christian unnecessary. environment. Unnecessary. Yeah. Right? So, so those, those are the things where kids will find some level of, of agreement on their terms. But we need, I think institutions need to create a forum for them to come together and say, this is what's offensive to me. This is what I feel that I can connect to, connect with you with on this level, but please don't make this type of a statement or or understand these are sensitive areas about my life mm. and respect that. Yeah. Humanize the conversation. Humanize the conversation. That's right. People are people. That's it. And they matter to God. And they matter. Um, so just closing up here, this conversation can go on for another hour, but you don't have much time and I don't want to hold you back. Uh, but what would you say uh, at this point going forward, are you hopeful from this season of our cultural moment um, or are you more despondent? What, where are you at? I, I, I'm hopeful from this perspective. If we continue a grassroots effort, forget about politics, take that off the table. This is happening a conversation like this needs to happen within our churches. It needs to happen within our vocations. It needs to happen within our neighbors. The great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said this, we all should be able to invite someone over to our home to break bread with that doesn't look like us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that allows, again, as we mentioned, yes, we're different, but there's more in common than not. That's where we got to find that, that ground. Mm. I've always been a positive, half glasses, half full kind of guy, but I think that... We, we have to make a change. Um, I would never say to people to not protest because, again, that, that's, that's, that has influenced change. But of we need more. Yeah. Yeah. We need more. It's not enough to say it's going to happen on a political level or it's going to happen within a protest platform. We need more of this conversation and we need people to be courage, to be courageous, and we need them to be able to, with love and respect, reach out to their brother and sister, their neighbor, who, whoever they are in their neighborhood, and start to and start to to have these these conversations. Um, I, I shared with you. I've traveled around the world. I've been to Muslim nations. I've been to Muslim nations, and I've been greeted and welcomed. One as American. Secondly, as a Christian, they know I'm not Muslim, and they have opened they have opened up their arms. They have received us as guests to their country, and they've taken great great care of us. Now, with that said, I'm not naive to think there are certain places in the world that I I would be in trouble. But the places that are considered partner nations to the United States, places like Malaysia, mm. places like Thailand, places like um, Bangladesh, mm. places like Senegal, places like um, Maldives. I was in Senegal and Maldives before all this coronavirus. This year, I traveled out of country, um, received us with open arms, mm-hmm. myself and my colleagues when I say we. Yeah. Would we, they be received the same way? I know, right. And there's so much, uh, and I want to say this to our church members and to people who watch the deep on a regular basis, you've got to monitor the intake of divisive conversations, divisive news, divisive opinionation. There's no news anymore. It's just opinion opinion. attainment. 
It yeah. really is. It's meant to rile you up, to draw an us versus them distinction, to label one group of people, whatever they are, based on their ideology as the evil ones, and you're the self-righteous, you're the righteous ones. And it's got we've got to stop digesting this stuff. They make money off of this, first of yes, all, because they, they sell ad time. They brag about their ratings, <laughs> and, they, and they and and they 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 um, what do you call it? They traffic in hate. Yes. Uh, the news, the the, the 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 social media networks, all these things. And social media used to be so positive. It used to be so uh, benign. You know? we'll, we'll we'll see more police civilian conflict than we will a young black male. I, I saw a video: a young black male bringing a case of water. To police officers, all formed up in formation, saying, I know you guys are doing your job. Here's water. I know you're thirsty. Mm. Be safe. Amen. Why don't we see more of that? That's right. Why don't we see the police officers that are reaching out into the community, right? Our media is in the trenches. Yep. Why don't we see more footage of police officers engaging with community, not community leaders, but people in the community? Non crisis interactions absolutely yes doing a great job camden new jersey there was a big article about that in camden new jersey they that was their specific aim non-crisis interactions between communities and police it's and happening. their crime rate plummeted yeah it's happening around the country but we don't hear about it i know we don't and that's why you got to listen to this that's why you got to tune in here and you got to do what christians do which is love your neighbors you love yourself todd i'm so thankful that you were here uh for this special edition i know that this was uh, looked forward to by many people in our churches, and I and I hope it's been helpful to you. And uh, I hope one day we'll have you back too, because um, this conversation I'm sure is going to continue, and we'll probably get more questions now as a result of this conversation than we had. But it's it's been a it's been a great moment. Been a- with the awesome uh, the uh, audience feedback, if we can have a round two, I'm all about it. Absolutely. Do let us know in the comments below if you're interested in that. We would, l- I would love to do that. I know he would love to do that. So we're game if you're game. And here's something else I would advise you to do. Share this episode. Share it on your Facebook. Share it on podcast, uh, on your Twitter. Share it on Instagram. Please get this stuff out. Conversations, talking things out, not the newsotainment that just fuels hatred and animosity against your neighbor. Help us out so that we can help you and help your neighbor and we can be the church. I'm so glad that you were here. Thanks for joining us and thanks for being here. Enjoy the rest of your night. See you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End with Tim Hatch.